Hello, this is uh, Mark Amber speaking. Uh, I'm the new chief editor of the European Respiratory Journal, uh, and I'm delighted to be uh, with you today. Uh, today, I would like first to wish you all a happy new year, and I hope that it will be a, a fantastic year to the whole respiratory medicine community. This month corresponds to my first days in charge of the ERJ with my deputy editor, Dr. Antoine Dingzhuang, who was a former chief editor, and as you understand, uh, it will be a very smooth transition between the former team and the new team. In addition, uh, we have now a large and novel group of associate editors, international um, editorial advisors, and many members of the editorial board from all over the world. I think this will be a, a very, very important time for our community, and I hope that we will be able to share with you uh, outstanding new uh, articles and outstanding new series. Among these new series, I'm really very happy to um, present today a new series edited by Dr. Joanna Pepke-Zaba, uh, Dr. Marius Hopper from Hanover and myself, on a major curable variant of primapotension, namely chronic thromboembolic primapotension. And we will refer to this condition with the acronym CTEPH, C-T-E-P-H, CTEPH. And uh, I'm really happy to announce that we will have five major review articles on this very hot topic. And today, it's really my pleasure to invite Dr. Joanna Pepke-Zaba, from the Papworth Hospital, University of Cambridge, United Kingdom, to present us the topic uh, and the coming articles from uh, this uh, new series. So to start with, uh, the very first uh, article is published this month. It's an article um, from Marion Delcroix and colleagues, and its title is Vascular and Right Ventricular Remodeling in Chronic Thromboembolic Primapotension. So, Joanna, can you share with us some take-home messages from this very first article? Good afternoon, uh, Mark, and good afternoon, uh, all the uh, ERJ um, readers. And it's a great pleasure and honor to um, be invited to this uh, post, uh, to this interview. Um, I'm privileged uh, to co-edit this series, and um, the uh, first uh, paper uh, written by Marion and the group is of great excitement as it's highlighting the differences between uh, CTEF and other forms of uh, pulmonary hypertension, and especially pulmonary arterial hypertension, and uh, shows the uh, a role of the ventricle remodeling in this group with a specific interest in the role of pressure and flow wave morphology, um, highlighting more, uh, highlighting differences between, um, um, pulmonary arterial hypertension and CTEF, where the proximal obstruction are causing this, um, uh, additional waveform, but also they are um, um, highlighting the sort of a two, co two compartmental um, um, uh, etiology of CTEF, not only the vascular obstruction, obstruction but also the um, additional vascular uh, remodeling uh, through the measurements of the decay curve and uh, trying to distinct uh, those um, distal obstructions 
uh, and the remodeling of the vessel and uh, the um, proximal obstructions. And finally, um, the, the authors are concentrating on right ventricle responses to all these uh, abnormal um, uh, changes in the pulmonary circulation. And uh, um, this on its own is uh, interested as uh, the vascular and uh, rather right ventricle remodeling is crucial um, for the um, um, success of uh, um, pulmonary endarterectomy, which is a potential cure for the patient with um, chronic thrombotic pulmonary hypertension. And uh, this is uh, um, beautifully described in this uh, paper, uh, showing that some patient can uh, fully recover, however, and the right ventricle can remodel. However, in some cases, this is uh, still not uh, fully uh, possible. So I think that uh, this uh, article is just giving us a good feel for the uh, differences uh, and making uh, this uh, um, disease very special and different to other types of pulmonary artery hypertension. Thank you very much, Joanna, for these uh, insights from uh, your perspective. I think it is indeed a very exciting article which really shows the way uh, to, to our community. So the second article is from Professor Irene Lang from the University of uh, Vienna in Austria and her colleagues. And the title is Risk Factors and Basic Mechanisms of CTAF, A Current Understanding. Can you tell us what to expect from this one? Um, this is another uh, fascinating story because uh, we really do not know uh, much about Kling-Jombonbolic pulmonary hypertension. Uh, and uh, Irene and colleagues are trying to unwind uh, uh, what might go wrong in our body, uh, what we, uh, and the reason why we have, why the current thrombotic pulmonary hypertension has developed. And the authors are highlighting that it is strong evidence suggesting that chronic thrombotic pulmonary hypertension is as a result of previous acute pulmonary embolism and they are uh, providing some hypotheses um, um, which is supposed to explain the patho, um, uh, pathobiology of the disease. And one of those concepts is a thromboembolic uh, concept. They, they are, as I said, they are uh, um, looking into the, all the literature um, which is following cohorts of patients with acute pulmonary embolism and uh, um, uh, describing how many of those have uh, developed uh, chronic thrombotic uh, pulmonary hypertension. And those data are confusing. However, they also are giving us a good feel what, uh, what in their opinion, is most likely and uh, what, uh, uh, in a, uh, what we um, have to expect from uh, um, the uh, by the following of patients with acute pulmonary embolism. Uh, 
Also, they are looking into the coagulation and the fibrinolysis. And uh, it is very well known that um, uh, incidents uh, uh, that the patient with chronic uh, thrombotic pulmonary hypertension do not have uh, any obvious uh, coagulopathies or fibrinolytic um, abnormalities. Uh, therefore, uh, that does not need to be present uh, or any abnormality in those pathways. They don't have to uh, be present uh, to develop thromboembolic disease. However, uh, they are highlighting all the potential links uh, between coagulopathy and fibronolysis, which can play the role. Um, and finally, um, they are looking into the uh, other associated um, risks, um, uh, uh, such as uh, um, uh, potential infection and concept of, uh, um, of the uh, mild chronic infection and inflammation. Uh, or rather concept, concept of uh, inflammatory uh, thrombosis is of the high uh, um, attraction, uh, suggesting that uh, the um, clot has been um, not properly organized or dispersed uh, as a result of uh, inflammatory um, uh, abnormalities or similar to the sort of uh, tissue uh, healing uh, process with a, a leukocyte recruitment and angiogenesis, which plays also um, the uh, role. So I think the authors are giving us a um, potential um, um, uh, explanation with some new approach to um, re, uh, to the different uh, uh, options, which uh, different mechanisms, which are which can play a role in um, the thrombus organization, including uh, the uh, defi uh, deficient in angiogenesis. So finally, the animal model is highlighted, and all the problems with establishment uh, with the. Um, with the animal models are discussed. And as we know that until now there was no good animal model of chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. Only practically we have had um, acute models, uh, models of acute pulmonary embolism. And uh, the, the need for the good animal model is described uh, also in the paragraph. Thank you very much, uh, Joanna, for these explanations. And now I think that uh, we have to emphasize one point. This condition, CTF, is really outstanding and should be known by all because it is the only uh, treatable, curable uh, form of primapotension which can be cured by surgery. And we have uh, an excellent chapter led by uh, Dr. Jenkins, uh, your colleague, on surgical treatment of CTF. Can you just tell us one major take-home message from this uh, article? That's a very simple. All the patients should be considered uh, to be assessed for the surgery with pulmonary endarterectomy. That's, yes. a, that's, that's a, really perfect. I think that's a key message. They should be uh, seen by some teams uh, which have knowledge 
on how to treat these patients and how to cure them. So there are very few uh, expert centers in Europe, but they are very well identified, and I think that's a very key take-home message. And when the patients are not surgical candidates, uh, do you have any possibility to treat these patients with drugs, tablets, or is that unlikely to be efficacious? Well, this, this is, is uh, this is in fact the topic of your article, uh, which will be the fourth in the series, Joanna. Uh, that's a, a very good point, and I think that uh, before starting uh, talking about the tablets, I would like to uh, again uh, emphasize that uh, every patient should be uh, assessed by the surgeon, and if the surgery is not uh, pot- poss- possible for whatever reason. The, at that point, um, medical treatment in the patient with the distal distribution of the uh, disease, um, or the, with the pulmonary hypertension, um, as a residual post-pulmonary endarterectomy, uh, could be considered. Um, there are several, um, uh, open label studies with a targeted therapy for pulmonary arterial hypertension which are um, suggesting um, some uh, beneficial effect in those patient group. Uh, however, we've got only two big uh, randomized clinical trial. Both, uh, one is with uh, um, Bosentan, which, and the name of the trial was Benefit. And this, in this big trial, um, there was a significant improvement in hemodynamics and in a um, secondary endpoint like functional, cl- uh, like a functional class and Antipra BNP. However, there was no translation of those hemodynamic improvements to the exercise tolerance. In the uh, second, very recently, uh, uh, pa- not yet published, but uh, um, we've got a, a preliminary report from this study, uh, the um, results are very encouraging, uh, and uh, we were told that there are significant uh, improvement in hemodynamics uh, and a significant improvement in six-minute walking distance, which was a primary endpoint of the trial. So, um, we have got now some um, uh, drug, which is Riosigwat, which is a, a new compound in the pulmonary hypertension field. It is a guanylate cyclase stimulator. And uh, this um, potential compound uh, might be of uh, some uh, future hope for our patient. However, um, Despite not, uh, um, there is no drug license for chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. We are aware that uh, about uh, one third of the patient, even prior to the surgery, are on the medication, and uh, uh, one half of the uh, half of the patient uh, with uh, the distal disease are treated with uh, the uh, medication. And this is without any um, evidence and without uh, drugs which are licensed for chronic thrombotic pulmonary hypertension. Well, thank you very much for, for this information. I think they are of extreme interest. Uh, the two take-home messages are, are very, very well taken. First, 
all patients should be considered for surgery. Second, there is no current approved drugs for uh, CTEF, but some may be uh, available in the next, uh, in the near future, but this is not uh, ready yet. Of course, uh, all these patients will be treated with our usual management, including, of course, anticoagulation and treatment of uh, right heart failure if present. And um, I think you have gi- you have given us an outstanding overview of the uh, future chapters of this series. The fifth chapter has been uh, will focus on uh, animal models, and I think the the readers will uh, see that with great interest. So uh, I would like to thank you warmly, Joanna, for taken for taking the time to to describe this series to us, and I would like to thank our readers. Uh, this was Marc Ambert. Uh, now Chief Editor of the ERJ, uh, today with our friend and colleague Joanna Pepke-Zaba from Papua's Hospital in Cambridge. And once again, uh, Happy New Year to all. Thank you, Mark. Thanks.